cannot know who God is if you're going at a pace where you're not still. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. I am, as always, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, uh, Noel Jesse Haken. And, and today, uh, I am just absolutely thrilled. I always say the word thrilled. Uh, it's, I don't know if that seems hyperbole or if it's pastoral inflation, but I really am thrilled about this because uh, I'll tell you in a second why I'm thrilled to be talking to my friend, Kurt Hanna. But first, I want to dive in and do what I always do with a, a first-time guest. Uh, give three publicly available pieces of information about this guy, and then uh, let him give us three pieces of information we may not know. So today's guest is Kurt Hanna. He is the pastor of Teaching and Vision at Missio Day Church in Cincinnati. He is a serial church planter. So, Kurt, how many churches have you planted personally, and how many has your church planted? Well, directly, I have planted two, and then our church has directly planted two, but I've also been involved in coaching dozens yep. of planters. I don't even know how many, but I, and I'm still involved with that. I sit on currently just two other church boards where I serve as a board. Yeah. So when you talk about being a church planter, you're a church planter. You're, there's no one could accuse you of not being a church planter. But, and right, the third right. publicly yep. available piece of information about Kurt is that he is a whiskey savant. Um, more than anybody I've ever met in my life, this man can talk about whiskey probably dreams about whiskey, has the best palate of anyone that I know. Kurt, how did you get into whiskey? How did that even happen? I mean, truth be told, and this will be one of those like not public okay, things. Okay, this will be our transition. But, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So in, in middle school, um, my buddy's dad had Maker's Mark all the time, just refilled his bottles and we would empty them for him. So in sixth grade, we were stealing Maker's Mark. And it wasn't until... You know, sometime later, I'd become a Christian and, and somebody introduced me to Woodford Reserve, which is a different bourbon that I noticed there was a difference in, in the taste of whiskey. And so it just it kind of grew from there. And then I got a part of became part of whiskey groups. When I moved to Cincinnati, I was trying to get everybody that I knew to drink, go from, first of all, from cider to drinking beers to drinking whiskey. And now the, the people around me have outgrown me and they know. So a lot you're, more you're not me. just an evangelist for the gospel. You're an evangelist for whiskey. Yes, and if you right. ever have a yep. chance to, to sit with Kurt, he can give you a crash course in not only, you know, all the whiskeys of the world, whiskeys and scotches and bourbons and Irish whiskeys, but he could also probably with any whiskey you have sitting in front of you, tell you the life story of the bottle in front of you. I mean, I've never known anyone who knows so much about whiskey, but it's, it's amazing. So give us two more things that are not publicly available pieces of information. Well, it is public, but we didn't talk about it. So just, I, I'm about to celebrate my 21st wedding anniversary with my wife. So uh, COVID canceled our 20th. We were going to go back to where we honeymooned, um, but instead we're going to go and climb Mount Elbert, which is the tallest mountain in the Rockies for our 21st, because my family's always up for an adventure. Uh, well, so congratulations, by the way. Shannon is awesome. You definitely married up. So uh, you have, and you and your wife have four kids, right? Age 17 down to eight. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's the second thing. Um, a third thing, which people find surprising, especially with the whiskey and the church planting background, is that I have a degree in counseling psychology from a fundamentalist university that is often ranked the number one conservative 
college in the United States. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into politics too much, but I'm not a um, political conservative. So it's a strange background and people are often surprised that I come from. A well, it's, what's even more surprising there is that they would have that degree. So um, that that's not a degree that back in the day when you and I were in school, that that would have been really popular in a lot of conservative schools, isn't it? Yeah, it was still cutting edge um, because newthetic counseling had a name for it. So you could you could call it something and have it counseling without it buying into a lot of the uh, integrationist jargon that a yeah. lot of Christian and and this actually mm -hmm. touches on the reason why I wanted to invite you on here today to talk. Um, and that is, uh, I wanted to talk with you about emotional health. And, and, and here's what kind of popped into my brain. And the reason I invited you is during this uh, crazy post transition from COVID season, a lot of people are, are being forced to deal with their emotional health. And we have this tendency, especially dudes, to not only not identify our emotions and feelings, um, but to stuff them down and to actively bury them. And, and sometimes we do that subconsciously. Sometimes we do that very consciously, but under work and hobbies and, you know, you, you're somebody who's so driven and even with your hobbies, you have the perfect setup to be able to stuff all those things down in your life because that's what a lot of guys do. Anybody who's as good at something as you are at whiskey or at church planting, they would find a way to use that to hide their feelings. So a lot of people are having to deal with that right now. And yet you, a number of years ago, went through some stuff in your life that caused you to really deal with your emotional health in a way that set you up so that when COVID hit, you're one of the few people I know that was actually in a good place going into it to be able to handle it. And so I thought maybe you would be somebody who could walk us through how to think about our emotional health as we're transitioning back to quote unquote normal. So I don't know if you would mind just starting with yeah. your story of kind of wrestling with this in your life. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really given a lot of thought to my story. So this is one of the first opportunities I've had to just kind of think linearly about it. Um, but in 2018, our church had a policy of uh, sabbatical that you had an opportunity after three years of full-time ministry to take a 12-week sabbatical, but every four years it was required. And so I'd had one in 2014. And so in 2018, it was time again, but there was a lot going on. I didn't want that sabbatical. I wasn't prepared for it emotionally, spiritually. Our family had a move. So the sabbatical was not... Uh, and I hate to say it this way because it was such a gift, but it was not good for me. There was a lot of transition. We had just planted a church out of Missio in Cincinnati on the west side of the city. And we were gearing up to talk about our next church plant up in the northern part of the, of the suburbs. And that was the, the groundwork from that was happening while I was away. By the time I got back, not only did it feel icky for me to be away, but my west side church planter was... Uh, completely burnt out, felt isolated and alone. And, and the things that were developing for our North Church plant were not lining up with what I consider to be the core values of our church. It, additionally, just leading into that, I had discovered that I was having some health issues, some inexplicable hypertension. So to this day, we're not sure, but I have my suspicions. It's because I was just going at, at a thousand miles an hour and, and not slowing down, not resting I wasn't the type of guy who 
would would rest and slow down and 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 ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? Although I thought I was doing that, I was more of the guy that said, this is what makes sense strategically. Lord, here are my plans. Bless my plans. And then just go and work until uh, until they worked out. And I certainly would stop and say, look what the Lord did. I, I think in hindsight, it was a lot more of Jesus stepping out of my way and saying, go ahead, you can have this. It's not really what I want you to do, but I mean, by all <laughs> means, if you want it that badly. So I got back from my sabbatical and um, was just off. I felt off. How you come back from 12 weeks of resting and feel more unrested than you've ever been, more anxious. And so I, I gave all of my leaders, uh, I asked them to do a 360 review of me. And one of the consistent results was, nobody really said it this way, but it's what I heard. Kurt does not work from a place of rest. And it was one of the questions on there and it would just, it was low scored. And so that's, that's what I heard coming out of that. Kurt does not work from a place of rest. And so I began to pay attention to that. I, uh, I hired Rich Plass to begin coaching me. And in our first session, he, he asked what I was doing, my pace of life, et cetera. And um, I'm, I'm 41 years old, I believe at the time, it was a couple of years back. And he said, he said, dear brother, if you keep this pace, you will not survive to see 50. He said, your body is trying to tell you that you can't keep going at this pace. You have to slow down. He asked a lot about how I was feeling and, and all I could give him was I'm off, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, or I'm sad. Those were, that was my range of emotions. And so over the course of the next year and a half, he's really been kind of helping me slow down and pay attention to that. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That you cannot know who God is if you're going at a pace where you're not still. How to slow down, how to abide. Um, some practices that I've included in my life are times of quiet, times of solitude. Um, I used to think that, you know, if you had your morning devotions, that would fill you up for the day. Um, and then you just you go about your plans. I realized by late in the afternoon, I was running on empty when I started slowing down and really trying to connect with Jesus. So I've learned to, to add more discipline and focus on um, the hours of prayer throughout the day. And there are all kinds of tools to, to help with that. And then probably one of the biggest ingredients that's helped with my health has been my wife and I around the same time discovered the, the rhythm of a weekly Sabbath, something that I always, man, I always poo-pooed. I was always like, that's a Jewish thing. We're not under the law. The people that I met with that would practice it were always a little strange to me, you know, so, but we, <laughs> we started, we, we received it as a, as a weekly gift. We don't bat a thousand on observing the Sabbath, but we're pretty close. Almost every single Friday night to Saturday, we're slowing down. We're trying to pay attention to enjoy good food, enjoy one another's companies, pay attention to what God has done and is doing, and really set apart a day to recognize the work that God does. And it, it's, yeah, it just really prepared me as, as the world slammed its brakes for, for COVID. We were already beginning to experience some of these slowdowns and just be able to pay attention to what God might be up to as the world goes through a pandemic that everybody's fighting, we saw it as God's invitation to teach us some things. You know, it's, it's, you've said so much that I want to touch on, but I want to highlight one thing right out the get-go. You quote Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. It's such a famous verse. 
it is, you know, attached to magnets. It's on your grandma's fridge. It's on a bumper sticker. What I find so stunning about uh, that verse is he continues on and it really is a verse about the world knowing who God is. It starts with be still know that I'm God, that I'm exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. And, and so I think a lot of times guys who are type A personalities like you, uh, men and women who are type A, what happens is we are go, 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 because we, as followers of Christ, we want the world to know about God. We want his name to be exalted in all the earth. And there is this, this connective tissue that is counterintuitive. And that is part of the world knowing that God is exalted, that his name is exalted in the nations is for us to just be still. Other translations say, stop striving. I think the CSB says, stop fighting. Just for a second, knock it off and just sit with the fact that I'm God. That is part of God making himself known in this world when we can stop and say, you know what? I don't have to control everything. I can actually stop and trust that God's still at work in those moments I'm not doing anything. That's a James moment of, you know, faith without works is dead. We can say all day long, the Lord is my refuge, my strength, the one in whom I put my trust. He is my rest. But if we don't have anything measurable to demonstrate that he is our rest, that we're stopping, then I think our words are somewhat empty and vain and dead. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because even that whole idea, and I'm with you, I, I am probably of all the people you know, the, the biggest person of us not being under the law. And so uh, at the same time, there are principles of rest. And I think what scripture teaches us is two things that we tend to kind of, like everything else in the world, we push to the edges. We are to work hard and we are to rest well. And regardless of the law, that is a principle of scripture. You know, whether you want to call it Sabbath rest and being under Sabbath, or you want to just say those rhythms of, it's even a rhythm of grace in that, a rhythm of work and a rhythm of rest. You you should be known as the hardest worker and the one who rests and unplugs the best. You know, that's how we're, and that resting, I think that's the whole point of the Sabbath is, gosh, God's going to keep working while the world is spinning and our to-do list is not done. And there's still 17 things left that we didn't do yesterday that we were supposed to. And you know, this weekend, I actually took a, a weekend. So I'm like, I was thinking, I think I may have mentioned this in the podcast two weeks ago, but going back to, I think Piper was the one who said for pastors, our work lives are so weird. It's hard to know when we're working or we're not. So he says, find a four hour block every day where you're not working, find a day a week that you're not working, find a weekend, a month that you have no official church duties and a week every quarter. And I'm not perfect at the four hour block a day, but I try to find that. But it's it, the idea of, so like this weekend, I was like, yeah, geez, I just been running. So I'm taking Saturday and Sunday. In fact, uh, we're back to in-person services, but I, I stayed see. home and watched church with my wife online. Cause yeah. I was like, I want no ch- official church duties this week. I sat on the couch and I slept in and then worked in the lawn, you know, and I just needed that rest to say, okay. This weekend service can happen without. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I I went to a fundamentalist school, so I'm really sensitive to those types of things. And so one of the conversations I I need to credit one of our pastors, Matt Cordy, with a lot of nudging me along in this. We had a lot of 
discussions, I'll say, where he was trying to get me to see things that I couldn't see. One of the texts that we brought up was, you know, Jesus invites us to take upon his yoke, right? Because his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And I remember, I remember pushing back with Matt on that. I said, that, I mean, that's right, that it is easy and light, but it's still work. And I, and I think that some of us become legalistic when it comes to the way we rest. It can't look like that at all. Others of us, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we can make, I mean, I, we just get, can get really wonky with it quickly. And so the key for me has been, like, rest is very important physically, but that sense of abiding with Jesus, this is work we do with Jesus. If I'm not using my rest time to make sure I'm connected to him, then I'm just resting and I might already have the reward for rest. It might not be something eternal. So that's that, I, you know, we're gospel centered guys, mm. right? And so it's got to be that, that abiding with good. Christ. Yeah. I want to double back um, when you were talking about the season back in 2018. Um, so I was writing down the ways you were describing yourself. You said, mm. I, 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 f- I feel icky. I feel off. I feel anxious. I have this inexplicable hypertension. I was frustrated. And then you started going, I'm frustrated, angry, sad. So what I, what I saw was a fuzzy yeah. ability to identify your emotion, moving to a little bit better ability to identify your emotion. Talk me through that process of not knowing how to identify what you're feeling. I struggle with that personally a lot. I, I feel a lot of things, yeah. but I don't know the words. Walk me through Definitely. the process. Maybe you're still in it. Yeah, of, and, and this is trying this to is, figure this out. Um, months and months of conversations with with Rich Plass. I'm still, still, I feel like I'm very novice at this, but I'm starting to discover some other things. Just a couple months ago, my family and I we we went on a college visit to Marshall University. Uh, my son Ashton, he's a junior in high school. We're starting to look at colleges. For some reason, my wife really wanted him to see Marshall. She's had friends that's gone there. So we we went and visited school and we I said, let's just take the whole family. We'll make a weekend of it. We'll get a hotel with a pool. It's it's a Friday night, I believe. We're in the hotel pool, swimming around, goofing off. And all of a sudden my wife is kind of frantic on the on the pool deck and pointing behind me. And I turn around, there's a, a little child floating upside down. And uh, pick him up out of the water. He's white, lips are blue. He's not breathing. Has a very faint pulse. Yep. Oh my and gosh. So, so I move to do what I always do. I don't think, I don't feel, I act. Was able, praise God, to get him on the pool deck and we revived him. And uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty traumatic. Wow. And so I was processing this with, with Rich. And he was asking about all of my feelings in that moment. How did you feel when you saw the child. And I was like, I don't, I don't, didn't feel, I just did something needed to be done. And I did it. And as we talked about the emotions around that event, I didn't feel a lot of emotions around this near death experience. But what I did feel was a sense of embarrassment when the police officer that showed up and the firefighter individually came over and thanked me for what I did. And so Rich asked me, he said, Kurt, don't you find it interesting that you're more aware of your emotions uh, when somebody's trying to honor you than you are when you're experiencing something as traumatic as death. So I'm learning like there is, there is wow. in some of us 
a shutting down of how we feel when things are tense. And, and so what I'm trying to do is mm. pay attention to that. What is my body language telling me? Cause your, your body won't lie. You're going to, your, your body's going to physically tense up when you're experiencing those things. And rather than fight it, I'm, I'm trying to lean into it, pay attention. What is my body telling me? What is my, what are my emotions telling me? And I've been sharing with my wife, I'm, I'm experiencing a range of emotions of, Hey, now I'm disappointed, not just angry and frustrated. I'm disappointed here. And sometimes that's okay. Right? So wait, you're, you're telling me that there's there an emotion <laughs> yeah. other than impatience. Well, yeah. That's that's the only one that I'm really familiar. I'm with. told the same thing. I'm I've yet to experience more of that, but yes. Well, true true story. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with a couple of friends and just talking about life and just life and ministry and all that sort of stuff right now. And one of the guys that I was meeting with, he's like, "Well, what what do you feel?" He was asking the feeling question. So, what? How are you feeling about this situation and this particular situation? And I couldn't describe it. So he said, just talk for a while about it. So I just just verbally processed. And, and then he just sort of interrupted me. And he said, what you're feeling, I think, is sadness. And I was like, what? I'm not a sad person. And then I was like, I really am. I am really, really just sad about this situation. Just recently, I'm doing this uh, Bible listening thing and went through the Psalms in a couple days. The range of emotions that the psalmists were able to use. And what I was struck by is the number of the the number of psalms that were I language. Like I think that in in some of our circles that we're in, when we talk about like worship songs and everything. We're hypersensitive to not emotionally manipulate, and we want to make sure that uh, there's not a ton of I language. Let's talk about we and stuff like that and talk about God. But the Psalms are filled with I language. I'm feeling this. I'm mad about this. I, you know, just a lot of the I. And then that yeah. was publicly sung. So the corporate prayer and the corporate worship was a reflection of someone's individual emotional response to what was happening around them. And I'm not sure what to do with that, but that's a yeah. new thing that I'm yeah, rattling yeah. around. I, mean, and, and the beauty of it, I think we're okay with it. Um, when we talk about the good emotions, I feel happy. I feel blessed. The joy in the courts of it, Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll tell you right. something that really um, helped me be okay with grief and loss is through Lent this past year, we, we were studying the life of Jesus uh, by we, I mean my family and I. And Jesus, as he approaches the cross, he grabs three of his friends and he talks about the trouble in his soul. And he says, I need you to come and keep watch with me. And there's so much need language in the life of Jesus there, right? Jesus needed his friends. Jesus needed them to be aware of the painful emotions he was carrying. And he's okay with that. And then the trouble is, I just discovered a lot of times I'm not, I'm not okay with the difficult emotions. I want them to go away and I want just the nice things. I want the blessings and not the curse, but even Jesus experienced that. And, and the invitation is he's there with us, right? We don't have to carry that alone. He carried the tough emotions alone so that we don't have to. Yeah. But we don't, but we still carry the tough emotion. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about Jesus in the garden, um, his yeah. humanity was on full display 
And he said, I am grieved to the point of death. He says, like, like, so what does he do? He identifies his emotions. He, instead of stuffing them down, and then he calls on his friends for help. He's like, guys, I, I, I really need some help from you. I need you to stay awake, stay alert, pray. Then they fail him. But what's notable to me is Jesus does this three times. So three times it says he prays the same thing. And, And the narrative moves so quickly that it's, it's easy to miss that. But three times he goes away and he's just dealing with his emotions. And so he's giving them to his friends. He says he keeps going back and forth between his friends and God and his friends and God. And then he goes to God and then he gives it to God. And then, and then God's answer inexplicably Mm -hmm. to Jesus in this moment is no, I know you're asking for this, but the answer is no. And so the fact that Jesus was actually that angsty and that emotional should give us confidence and comfort because then he went Mm -hmm. to the cross and took all of that with him Mm -hmm. just striking so you earlier just kind of started to hint at some of your practices can you walk us through just some rhythms of rest that you're you've developed or you're developing to kind of avoid burnout like i'm thinking particularly for people right now it is going to be so easy when the masks are off the doors are flung open for people to yeah. just run out and do right now, right? Um, I think of the the roaring 20s coming on the heels of the Spanish flu, right? All of a sudden, we're going to just go crazy. It's going to be Mardi Gras. And it's going to be easy to stuff down emotion. So what practical rhythms have you put into your life to help? Yeah, my, you've my, already mentioned my daily Sabbath, hours but... of prayer is probably um, next to Sabbath, the most significant change in my life which is um, it, in, it involves solitude and silence, but it's, it's usually the first thing that I do. Well, that's, that's a lie. I get up and work out unless I sleep in. Then, it, then my quiet time is the first thing that I do. But when I'm not too lazy to get out of bed and work out, that's what I do first. But it's always a, the philosophy in our home is scripture before screens. So before I'm checking Facebook or email or text messages, it, it's, I'm sitting down and I, I just, I spend just three minutes in, in quiet and try to pay attention to how my body is feeling because that starts to shape the way that my day goes. But, but just, just kind of that invitation of Lord speak to me. And then I'm usually on some sort of Bible reading plan. I just started another one this morning on prayer because I wrapped up a couple last week, but in the morning, uh, yeah, just, it's about a 15 minute deal, three minutes of silence 10 or so, you know, five to 10 minutes or so of Bible reading and meditation. And then I, I wrap it up with another three or so minutes of, of silence. So I do that in the morning. And then just before lunch, I do it again. Another 15 minutes just to stop what I'm doing, contemplate what the Lord might be inviting me into, considering the things that are happening around me, just even asking the Lord, what should I be praying for? So yeah, twice a day, that's, that's big for me. My hope is to incorporate a third time of prayer, which would be in the evening with my family. And on good, on really, really good weeks, we do it maybe twice a week. Uh, I wish it were more. My goal would be five, but we're just not there yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're yeah. not under the law, Kurt, so you're good. Even yeah, the yeah, little so, L law. But I, but, I, but I want that because again, it's... That's absolutely right. It's not, I'm not going to get a a fine if I don't do it, but there's a, there's a cost of not staying intimately connected, not abiding in Christ without doing it. So 
Uh, and it's something I want my family to experience as well. And when we do it, it's really, it's really a pretty amazing. Well, let me, let me take that back. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes you're just trying to fight to do it. I, I don't want anybody to think like, oh, it's your, your family's growing so much spiritually because this is happening. Um, that's not true, but we are having more ongoing spiritual conversations. So there is fruit being born from it, which is good. So yeah, that's kind of my, my daily rhythm. And then on a monthly basis, I take four hour chunks where I guard it and make sure I just get away. I'm not doing pastoral ministry. I'm just having four hours of that, that ongoing silence, solitude, prayer, I take a Bible and my journal and whatever I'm reading and nothing else so that I'm not distracted by all, all the things. And then we don't, we divide our year up into terms instead of quarters. So there, there are three, four month terms instead of four, three month quarters. Um, and so once in a term, I'll do an eight hour stint or an overnight prayer retreat. Um, but to be really honest, uh, I've had that kind of in my calendar for the past year. I've only done it once. And then this past weekend, my wife and I went away on a week-long retreat. So uh, that it, this was the time I would have done it. But, but the one time I was just by myself, I, I rented a, a little Airbnb in a nowhere town up in Ohio. It was really weird and good at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I've done those at uh, cottages up north in Michigan and uh, even a monastery. Uh, just get a room in a monastery. A lot of times they'll give you a room and those are nice places to walk around. But one of the things that, uh, uh, in fact, Rich Bless recommended to me was sitting three or four times a day, just because of how I'm wired, just type a go, go, go. And just for three or four times a day, sit for five minutes and do nothing. And he's like, I actually have no agenda for you during that time. But no devices, no nothing. Find a chair and just sit in silence and then let your brain run wherever your brain runs. But just sit there for five minutes and don't do anything. And so trying to find those in the day and then going for walks is a huge. You and I do this a lot. We walk and talk together. So I go for walks with friends all the time. And you're one of my friends that I walk with. And we just talk on the phone uh, while we're walking. And you've kind of alluded to this a couple of times, Kurt, but you talked about not being legalistic in the way we rest. I think that that is critically important because sometimes we have anxiety and we're trying to solve the anxiety by resting. And then when we don't rest well, we feel anxious about that and it sends us back into that loop. And I think that that's one of the tricky parts as a follower of a faithful follower of Christ is we do want to do stuff. We're wired to do stuff or to create because we're created in the image of God. And I, I think healthy ambition is a good thing, although godly ambition, selfish ambition is a negative thing. So we're wired for this. And so what happens is we begin to feel performative about the things that are that can yeah. sanctify us in a way that is unhealthy. So we think... I need to perform. I need to do my quiet time. I need to read. I need this rest. If I miss the rest and I miss the Sabbath, and then all of a sudden we are taking the burden of our sanctification yeah, yeah. onto ourselves in a yeah, way that's I inappropriate. Think, I think we as pastors can help here um, by creating, by helping to create culture that recognizes that spiritual growth and sanctification is a long, steady, slow process. I know I've been in environments where what gets celebrated and spotlighted are the radical overnight changes in people's lives. 
I've done years of mentoring with guys who are in um, recovery from addiction and they all want that story where it's, you know, one day I was on the street and the next day I'm preaching the gospel. And, and that just, it can happen, but that typically does not happen. And I think we need to share with people that, you know, I mean, that's what Jesus was doing. Count the cost of discipleship. It's a long, slow, steady process, and it's not going to happen overnight. And it's a growth. So you look at your kids, like when my kids were learning to walk and they tripped, I didn't discipline them for that because I'm a good dad. And I, so it's like, I understand you're going to, you're not going to do this perfectly the first, the first go at it. So let's just be gracious and patient with ourselves and, and figure it out. Yeah. I mean, we're still trying to, we're, we're still trying to figure out how do we do this with our kids? Because, you know, our older kids, we've got three teenagers. They grew up in a home where Sabbath was not something that we did. We just went. And now we're trying to help them see the value in it, but they've developed patterns and habits where Friday night and Saturday is time to go do and see the things that they couldn't do because school was keeping them from doing it. And so we, you know, we're like, Hey, we want this to be something that they delight to do in. And there's a balance between this is what I expect, but this is also an invitation. You have the right to say no to it. And so we're still trying to figure that out. Some weekends we feel like we've knocked it out of the park and other weekends we feel like, Oh, that was really a colossal failure. We probably should have said no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, although that reminds me of, you know, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called, which I've never read, but the title gets me all the time. So I need to read it called A yeah. Long Obedience in the Same Direction, mm-hmm. Discipleship in an Instant Society. And I think that that's something just, you know, even coming off of COVID is just knowing, just take your time and easing back into life and and let this be an opportunity to evaluate some of your rhythms and to come out Mm -hmm. of COVID as a different person and, and to have healthier boundaries and healthier rhythms and, and say no when you need to say no and rest when you need to rest. And so, well, Kurt, we could probably talk about this all day, but both (laughs) of us probably need a little bit of rest. So I know it's a bad joke, but, um, but thank you so much for being on and uh, everybody I'll link to all of uh, Kurt's info online. Just check his church in Cincinnati is killing it. I just, uh, just so thankful for you. Just had an opportunity recently, got to sneak down to Cincinnati and sit on your porch and watch you pour into the lives of, of church planters. Everything from aspiring church planters to established church pastors were sitting on your porch and you were just loving those guys. And you have been an example in my life and uh, continue to be an example in a lot of people's lives. And so I'm just so thankful yeah, no, for you and your ministry love, and your friendship. I love the, the few times that we get to hang together and talk about ministry, life, baseball, everything. I love it. 